Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Everyone say innocence. Yes. I'll talk more to innocence in a moment. Um, innocence, everyone say uprightness. Yes. Say blamelessness. Yes. Say sincerity. Yes. Those four concepts are strict translations from the Hebrew. Innocence, blamelessness, uh, uprightness, sincerity. That was the one slant of the word. The other nuance of the word is completeness. Or wholeness, okay? The other slant of integrity is completeness or wholeness. You can't have one of the two slants without embracing the other. In fact, the one determines the other. So when you have, when you are blameless, when you are innocent, when you are living an upright life, what will you naturally have in your life? Completeness and wholeness or con consistency, like we said. In fact, the Latin inter, integer, literally means whole, literally means complete, entire, together. So if you even look at the Latin roots of the word, it implies someone that has got no breakage point in their lives. I said to you last week, when steel is intested for its integrity, talking about steel that they use in a building, um, if, if, it's not, if it's not manufactured according to certain specs, and it's used, for example, to erect a high-rise building, the integrity of the steel will compromise the integrity of the building. These are engineering terms. They use it as a language when they speak. In other words, it is not whole, it's not solid enough, it's not entire, such that if undue pressure is brought to bear on the building, breakage might be caused. Okay? So you must not break under pressure. What's going to keep your character whole? What's going to keep you as a whole person is your integrity. Your integrity is the factor that makes you strong consistently internally. Okay? You must think of it like that. And it's going to be the thing that's going to keep you. There's a, there's a, a group of verses that one of the benefits we have discussed about integrity is preservation. Mm. Integrity will preserve you when everything else is failing around you. Okay? It's going to be the thing that's going to keep you. It is an expression of practical righteousness. And I found this very challenging in recent times. How about you? Yeah? Have you found your integrity being challenged? You're faced with a decision. What to do? Must I do the right thing? Or will I fall to do the wrong thing? Okay? To do the right thing before the eyes of God, and not just before the eyes of men, but to be true to oneself, and to know in your heart that you're doing the right thing, because you're honoring values, principles that are biblical, that are reflective of the nature and the character of God himself. That is integrity. Okay? It's a subscription to truth, to honesty, to veracity. Remember I mentioned probity, purity. I mentioned a bunch of synonyms last week to which you must be committed to. And when you do, you will be whole and in entire. Somebody once said that when you, when you function by integrity, you have nothing to fear because you have nothing to hide. Mm -hmm. 
It's, it's, it's a powerful, powerful position in life. The liar or the hypocrite or the one that's bending the rules, the one that is subterfuge, the one that is working behind the scenes, putting on a front of truth, but living a lie, is under pressure to maintain the lie. But the man of truth can stand and can be the subject of scrutiny by everybody, but because he has nothing to fear, because he's built his life on truth. Okay? Purity is an extremely powerful position. I want to encourage you. If anything God's going to bless you for, He's going to bless you for your subscription to truth, honesty, purity, veracity, etc. If you are left to be scrutinized in a court of law and you're cross-questioned by judges or advocates or, or, or uh, attorneys or whichever, and at the end of the examination of you, they must conclude you Innocent. Say it with me. Innocent. innocent. The, the, the word innocent must be one of your favorite words. Okay? Because it's anonymous, like I said to you in the week, with the whole issue of integrity. It's absolutely synonymous with Adam was made innocent. Okay? And that sense of innocence where I have no ulterior motive, I have no duplicity within me, there's no conniving. There's no deceit, there's no scheming, there's no trickery, there's no hidden agenda within me. What you see is what you get, but not just what you see is what you get. What you get is a subscription to biblical moral values. Okay? Because some people say what you see is what you get, but I don't like what I see and what I get. Right? It's not that like, it's not you know some people are brutally truthful, or they they, they say they, they're brutally honest, they candid. Remember, I said last year, uh, last year, last week, you must have a sense of honest candor about you. Yeah. You're frank, you're upfront. But some people use that in the wrong sense where they become brutal in the assessments based upon their sincerity. Black is black, white is white, therefore, and you let the person have it. No, no, no. I'm saying don't go take it to that extreme because with, let me say this, with integrity and with uh, discernment, must be balanced by great mercy. Mm. By great mercy. Mercy is the balancing factor um, in the whole equation of our commitment to truth. You see, the Bible says that even God's mercy overrides His judgment. Okay? We must be people of great mercy. While we're on mercy, I'm thinking about it a lot this week for some reason. Because, you know, I, I, some people who mess up came into my mind I thought, how would I judge them if I were God? The Lord said to me, practice mercy. Yes, don't compromise the principle, but practice mercy in the process based upon the repentance of the person. Okay? Always practice mercy because the Bible says this, with the measure that you meet, the same measure is going to be meted out to, to you again. You actually determine how God will, de will, will, will deal with you based upon how you deal with men. Okay? Today I'm going to talk about the internality of integrity. Okay? Now, internality is, a, is the root word is internal, like external, externality or externalities. The internality of integrity, what I'm going to focus on is its internal configuration. Um, but more so where, everyone say where, where 
it stems from or what it has its genesis or its roots in the person and because it's very easy to parade it externally and not possess it internally and that's my fear that people will have a semblance of integrity because integrity is one of those things which you have to discern I'll prove this to you next week I won't get into it, I won't get into it this week but I'll prove to you next week from a few case studies that it is possible to give the semblance of rightness, the semblance of truth, and you can parade it, and in so doing, actually lead men and others to violate, others who are sincere, you who hypocritically posture it, can lead the sincere into disobeying God. It's a very frightening thought. I discovered two case studies this week. I won't have time to get into it simply because I need to give you just the basic bedrock of this fact before we look at applying them by a case study. Now, what I want to focus on is the integrity of the heart. Everyone say integrity of the heart. Integrity of the heart. You see, if you don't have it in the heart, you will never practice it in the life. It must be internal before it's manifested externally. So I want to focus on the state of the heart. And the heart has been the focus from all the songs we sang, Table of the Lord, and today. God's focus is on the state of your heart. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 and 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to every man according to his ways, and according to the fruit of his doings. So the scripture says, the heart is deceitful. Now, the heart is your, is the center of you, as it's used in scripture. Whenever it's used in scripture, it denotes the centrality of the man, or the place from which governs the life of the man. It defines then everything that is the man. So if you refer to the heart of someone, you're referencing the person. Okay, it's indicative of the totality of everything the person is, but it simply references the place from which the person functions. That is the internality of the person or the inside of the person. Okay? The Bible says the most frightening thing in verse 9 here. It says oh, that place, that place from which he functions is deceitful. Mm. In other words, deceit means this. Deceit means a person can, for example, posture themselves to operate in a certain way. But could not be that could not be the person's true motivation or agenda. So the person is posturing a particular agenda, but deceiving others who believe that he is functioning by certain motives when he himself knows that he is not. So he's deceiving everybody. The, 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 the most serious form of deception is self-deception. Now you can fool others. But it's worse when you are fooled and you don't know it. And you are pretending to act truthfully, but you are acting in deception. No, it's fine if I know it's not the full jewels now. I'm a hoodwinker. I'll pretend I'm operating from love. Meantime, I've got another motive, right? That's, that, that, that's bad enough, right? That's bad. But worse worser is when I think. I'm honorable. I think I am credible and I'm functioning from a particular noble position. 
When in fact, I myself don't even know that I am messed up, I am mixed up, I got spurious motivations. That's the worst thing. Right? And so it's that where it says this heart is deceitful above everything else and it's desperately wicked or sick. Who can under who can understand it? Now, as I prepared this, I was typing in the week, I really had to pause almost from every page I wrote here. I'm saying, God, help me. The state of my heart, when it's presented before you, to be forensically analyzed by you, may your conclusion be of me innocent. May your conclusion be of me integrous. May your conclusion be of me pure, consistent, whole, entire, simple, blameless, upright, morally good. You see, don't look at Randolph. I can fool you left, right, and center with what you see. But guess what? Who only knows the real me? There's a God in heaven that knows my heart. My challenge to myself and to all of us is, let us from this point subscribe to this, that everything you see about me externally is a picture of my heart internally. It must be. Otherwise, our, our subscription and our, our attempts at integrity are going to be posturing, are going to be hypocritical, and they're going to fool everybody. And at the end of the day, there's a God whom we cannot hoodwink. Uh, he's a God who sees the heart of a man. In 1 Samuel 16 verse 7, Jesse is instructed to go to the house of Jesse and to anoint one of his sons as king. Jesse brought all seven sons, except the eighth one was David looking after their sheep in the field, remember? And he paraded the sons before the prophets. Right? And Eliab, the eldest boy, David's oldest son, Jesse's eldest boy, was the first in the lounge. He has a prophet of note. And Eliab comes in. And Samuel said, surely this is the one that God has chosen to be king. king right? And, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his yeah. appearance or at the height of his stature. Apparently he was this tall, noble, very handsome looking person. Imagine he walks in all stately. And by all accounts, even a prophet like Samuel was fooled. Because the Bible says none of Samuel's words fell to the ground. This is no ordinary prophet. We're talking about Samuel here. We're talking about that guy. This is not your fly-by-night prophet. This is a a prophet of note. Even he was, was hoodwinked to make judgments based upon what he saw externally. And God had to remind him, I don't look at the appearance, nor at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward but appearance, but the Lord looks where? The Lord looks at the heart. I hope you spent as much time dressing your heart today, as much time as you spent in front of the mirror preparing your external self. Hope your heart is correctly attired with truth, with honesty, with humility. All of these issues dress the heart and not so much the external character. Okay? Verse 8, 
Oh, that's three plus eight. Okay, that's it. The Lord has not chosen this one either. And we go through a few. Then David ultimately was, was chosen. There's a very famous verse in Joel chapter 2 and verse 13. And I grew up remembering this verse. It was often quoted by the ministers in the AOG. Now rend your heart and not your garments. In Jewish culture, to rend there means to take. You rend, you take, right? The tearing of garments by Jews was symptomatic of the intensity of the emotion that they felt internally. So, for example, when they were, if a man was angry, he would take his garment and tear it. Or, if a, a sinner was extremely repentant, he would get sackcloth, ashes, sit in it, and rend his garments. So, God is saying here, so... If you were in Jewish culture and you saw a Jewish man tearing his clothes, what was he trying to communicate to you? He was trying to communicate the internal nature of his emotions or the state of his heart. And look, because God knew that is open for hypocrisy. Because anybody, not with the right heart, can do it externally. And the external act might not represent the internal posture, not so? So God had to chide and reprimand the nation and say, rend, you rather rend your heart. Keep your garments intact as long as your heart is rent. Okay? So uh, what I'm stressing today is no more posturing. No more acting. Hollywood has got nothing on the church. <laughs> if the church, if Hollywood wants good actors, it should come to the church to audition people. Because yeah. in church we can play the game. We can play the part so well. Right? Uh, Jesus said to the Pharisees at one time, you worship me with your lips, but your heart is where? It's far from me. Okay? Again, the imperative on the state of the heart. Matthew 7.20, Jesus was saying, that which proceeds out of the man is that which defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceeds what? Proceed now. Listen to the list. Everyone, repeat after me. Say, "Out of the heart." Out of the heart. Now Jesus is talking, and he says, "Out of the heart." Out of the heart proceeds the following. Listen carefully: evil thoughts, fornication, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality. Envy, slander, pride, foolishness. A long list, right? So the point is, Jesus lists a list of what is so-called severe sins. Fornication, adultery, deceit, etc. But he said this, all of these stem from where? Out of the heart. So my point is this. If you want to stop the sin, where do you start? You start at the source, which is the, the heart. Don't treat the symptoms, which I think, and I'll explain why I think those things are symptoms. Don't treat the expressions. Treat the condition. If you change the condition of the heart, you will change the behavior in the man's life. Okay? You will change the behavior in the man's life. Here's it. Matthew 15, 19, 20 onwards. Okay? Out of the heart comes... Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witness, slanders. 
These are the things which defile the man. Okay? These are the things which defile. In 1 Kings 9 and verse 4, David... Um, well, an instruction is given to Solomon, David's son. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David did. And how did David walk? Everyone say integrity of heart. This phrase really got to me. God is saying integrity must be a state of the heart. The state of the internal you. Everyone say the internal you. Brethren, I'm making a, I'm making a policy now in this church. I'm no more so much interested in the external you. I want to find out what is the internal you. Because we can, we can fool everybody by how we look, by the words. We, we, we're so good with our eloquence, with our posturing, with our posturing in worship. We can sing well. We can lift, we can lift hands well, etc. We can be seen to be fine. But integrity of the heart is what matters. Solomon is commanded here, watch, as for you, if you walk before me as your father, David walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, verse 5, then I will establish your throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, just as I promised your father David, saying you will not lack a man on the throne of Israel. There's great blessing promised to Solomon here. If he walks before the Lord in uprightness of heart. Go back to verse 4. I want to reference something here. Everyone say integrity of heart. Integrity of heart. Say and uprightness. And uprightness. Say doing. doing. So what is doing? Obedience, right? Obedience to what? To all that I have commanded you and keep my statutes and my Ordinances, yes, a great key and a great clue of what constitutes integrity of heart. An integrous heart is one that fully obeys the commandments of the Lord. Please write that down somewhere. It, it fully, the word fully is very important. I'll explain it in a moment. An integrous heart is one that fully obeys the commandments or the principle of God's word or the commandments of the Lord. Okay? You obey it sincerely or fully from the heart. Now, I want to read our famous verse. We've been quoting this verse for the past two or three months. Proverbs 4.18. But read the following verses. It says, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It shines what? Brighter and? Brighter. Brighter. Until the coming of the full day, verse 19, talks about the wicked, that's the unrighteous, the people that are not integrous. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They don't know over what they stumble. My son, verse 20, give attention to what? Everyone say my words. My words. So verse 18 talks about a brighter and brighter path for the righteous, but that doesn't just happen automatically. It happens to sons that give attention to the words of the Lord. My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them, let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the way. In the midst of what? 
Tell your neighbor your heart has a midst. It's like midst is the sphere. It's that area. It's that precinct. It's a, a particular uh, a domain, if you would. A sphere within the man called the heart where the word must be kept. How shall a young man cleanse his ways but by giving heed to the word? And this verse says, you, because I've said it over and over again, you can be leaving this church and week by week seeing the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, it shines brighter, brighter and brighter, and my path is bright. My future so bright, I need shades. <laughs> you could be quoting everything. Mindset is like brighter and brighter for me. That's what the Bible says. But read the, con the context is first watch the state, the midst of your heart. You need to prioritize God's word there. Okay? Keep them in the midst of your heart. Do not let them depart from your sight. Verse 22 For they are life to those who find them and health to all. Of their body. Verse 23. Watch over what? Watch over your heart. It says with diligence. In other words, with due accord, not casually. Don't give this scant attention. Give this your total conviction. Give this your total attention. Watch over your heart with diligence. Why? For from it flow. The springs of life. Look at the King James. King James says, From it flow the issues of life. Who has issues here? Any other issues? Well, it's from your heart. You got the issue outside? Where it comes from? It springs forth from out of the heart. You know, this word fascinated me. For out of it spring forth the issues of life. Um, the word issues in the Hebrew is the word tosa. Tosa literally means a border or an extremity or an end point. Think about the meaning. Now if you paraphrase, for example, keep your heart with all diligence. For out of this heart, something's going to spring forth. It's called Issues. This word in the Hebrew Tosa means extremity or limits or furthest boundaries. In other words, the state of your heart will determine the limits of your life. Whatever is in there, whatever is in there, is going to literally circumscribe or prescribe the sphere of function and experience for you. Because the proverb says, as a man thinks where? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Your easy, everyone say my easy. My easy. Is determined by how you think. Where? In your heart. Do you know the borders? Let me just say this to you. How far you go, this is a prophecy to all of you. How far you go is determined by the state of your heart. Because out of your heart spring forth what? Issues of life. And what is, don't think issues as drama. I'm not talking about those issues, right? If we all got our issues right. Listen, that's not what the Bible here means. The Bible here means the state of your heart, everyone do this like a square. Just do this here. Yeah? 
So if you if you draw like a square, you're drawing limitations, extremities, or borders, not so? And you function within them. This verse says the condition of your heart you must watch because it literally determines how far you go and how far your borders, your limits to your life will be. Right? Everyone say limits. limits. Now, I don't want my life to be like this. I want my life to be... I want my life... Say enlarge my border. Enlarge That's what Jabez prayed. Enlarge my territory. I... And you can never have external enlargement until you've enlarged internally. Mm. The state of how you grow outside is a direct reflection of what you hold inside. And I want to encourage you, just like a matter of general encouragement, tell someone, think big. Think big. Because a man thinks so easy, right? But let me just say this to you. I'm not talking about, I'm, this is not like positive confession. I'm not like a motivational preacher trying to tell you think big, therefore you'll experience big. No, this is a biblical principle. If you can hold it in your heart, you can experience it with your life. If you can see it, envision it with your eyes internally, you will walk through it externally. That's why God said to Abraham, Genesis 13, not so? Abraham, remember, not lifting. The Bible says, and the word of the Lord came to Abraham after Lot left him. Arise, look north, south, east, and west. All the land that you see, I will give. Principle is, I give if you see. All the land that you see, I will give to you. So your sight will determine what I give to you, Abraham. Your capacity to hold it and envision it within you will determine what I give. Amen. But you know why I don't drop what I deliver based on who is here or not here? Why don't I do that? Because you are not my limits. This congregation is not my audience. When I speak, I speak to atmospheres. I speak to conditions. I speak to spiritual realities. And we also have a global audience that track the messages literally every week. Yeah. So I prepare. Everyone say, think bigger. Think say, prepare as though you're going bigger. Right? You don't prepare for a little church. You prepare like you're preaching for a major conference. Yeah? Amen? As a man thinks in his heart, so easy. So the condition of your heart will determine out of it, watch it, keep it, your heart with all diligence, but out of its spring, the extremities, the borders, the endpoints, Tosha, the limitations of your life is determined by the state of your heart. What I'm saying to you is that if you keep your heart pure, God's going to enlarge your heart. You know what David said? This verse just comes to me now. It's one of the Psalms. He said, I will run. Watch. I will run in the way of your commandments. When? When you have enlarged my heart. Running implies what? Fast momentum. Everyone say acceleration. Acceleration. David says this, I'm going to accelerate once you, God, have enlarged my, my heart. There's a beautiful portion in 2 Corinthians 7. I'll, I'll, I'll share the reference with you later. Paul says this about Titus. 
It says, God put into the heart of Titus the care for the Corinthians. Now, can God put some stuff in you? Can God do some open heart surgery, open your heart and locate some things there in reference to his work? What happened? That was like open heart surgery. Chris Barnard thought he was the first. God was in this thing long ago, right? He loves working on people's hearts. And he lodged some stuff in the heart of Titus. When Paul went to Macedonia, what does it say? He preached the word and the Lord opened the heart of Lydia to receive the things that Paul was saying. Everyone say, Lord, open my heart. heart. Say, enlarge my heart. heart. Say, extend the limits of my heart. heart. Come on, have a big heart. Tell someone have a big heart. I know we use this term, uh, grammatical uses as you know, heart of love, compassion, etc. A big heart. But I want a big heart for the purposes of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Yes. I want a big heart for the purposes of the Lord. And you'll see it happen. Okay? Psalm 15 verse 1 and 2. Okay? So please, just based upon that Proverbs 4 passage, I wrote you in my note how far you go in life will be determined by the condition of your heart. The heart is very important. Your heart determines the limits of your life. One of the Psalms, which I will prosecute thoroughly later, not now, but I want to mention one verse, is Psalm 15. Remember Psalm 15, Psalm 26, and Psalm 101? Must be the subject of your meditation. This verse, in the opening lines, this passage says, O Lord, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell in your holy hill? And gives the answer, he who walks with integrity, and who works righteousness and speaks truth where? He won't say in his heart. Consistently when you study integrity throughout the Bible, it often references the heart. Internal man, not the external man. Speaks the truth in his heart. In Psalm 51, where God said, where David said to God in his repentance after his adultery with Bathsheba, he says, you, detru- you desire truth where? You desire truth in the inward parts, okay? So the heart must be characterized by truth. Now, does anybody here would like to put your heart on the table for all of us to see? Anybody? Mm-hmm. I'm putting it here. Come. Come. Come supernatural. Make it nice and level for you so you can see it nicely. You all just analyze what exactly is going on here. Let's say in Russia. Russia, put your heart here. So all the brothers and sisters can see the state of your heart. Anybody wants your heart to be examined? Anybody? You'll be scared, right? You want the brothers to find out what's in there. Because all they know is the external me. But very few know the internal me. The internal me might shock you. The internal me might scare you. Right? That's why David said, search me. Oh God, test me. Try my heart. Job says, try my heart and know my integrity. That's a bold statement. He said, Lord, if you put me under scrutiny for forensic analysis, what you're going to find out is something called integrity. He says, test me and know my integrity. Okay? Now, Proverbs 21, verse 1 and 2. I think this verse is a powerful. This verse is also found, I think, in Proverbs 16. Um, it says, the king's heart 
How many people are kings here? Aren't you a king? His brothers called kings and priests. So it says the king's heart is like channels of water. Where? In the hand of the Lord. And he turns it wherever he wishes. It's like God directs the channel. So this tells me my heart should be so pliable. It should be directable. It should be navigable. Or it's course determined by the Lord. He can turn it any way he, he wants to. Tell someone have a soft heart. Yes. I want to have time to teach this. The New Testament teaches very strongly about a hardened heart. An incalcitrant, stubborn heart. That's totally impervious to the bending or the wing of the Lord. Never ever get to the place where your heart is hardened. But your heart must be like channels of water which the king, which your, your heart as a king, which God can turn whichever way. And then verse 2 however says the following. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but it's the Lord who weighs the the Lord who weighs the heart. Even if I say, okay, I put my heart up for the church, to scrutinize on the table. Everybody come with your microscopes and do a forensic analysis of Randall's heart. If I say to you, hey, you guys, you're gonna find nothing here. That's my opinion about my heart. This verse says, every man's ways in his own eyes seem right. But who has the final say? It says God is the one that you must, whose assessment you must revert to, to weigh. The word weigher is used in balancing scales. Okay, to weigh your, to weigh your heart. Okay, so how much does your heart weigh? I'm talking symbolically now, obviously. Right? So we must have pure hearts before the Lord. First Chronicles 29, look at what David does, says, I will reference this verse a bit later when I talk about integrity and financial offerings. I was amazed in my study of integrity. I'm studying integrity every single day and I'm writing every single day in reference to it. It's almost like a whole manual on its own now. I was shocked at how so many references in the Bible equate integrity with faithfulness in financial stewardship. Right? I'll talk more to that in one whole session. You must be righteously integrous in how you manage finances. I think many people fail here with integrity. You fall here in terms of how you're managing your finances. And your integrity is wanting the cracks in your steel that are going to compromise your building, your life. Some of the way you handle money. But David said here in verse 16, by the way, he was collecting funds here for the building of Solomon's temple. And he said, verse 16, 1 Chronicles 29, O Lord, our God, all this abundance, so he collects a whole lot of stuff. He gives from his own wealth from the king's treasury, the leaders of thousands, of hundreds, and of fifties all gave, second-tier leaders gave, then all the people gave. There's a massive amount of items collected for the building process. And he says this, O Lord, our God, all this abundance we have provided to build you what? A, a house for your holy name. It is from your hand and all is yours. This is your offering, God, for your house. Verse 17, he says, Since I know, oh my God, that you try the heart and you delight in uprightness. <clears throat> so God tests or tries the heart and delights in uprightness. I... 
in the integrity of my heart have willingly offered these things. So now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here make their offerings willingly to, to you. Okay? So I want to start to encourage you, although I'll deal with this later in a separate session, to be highly integrous in the matter of financial affairs or financial dealings. When David collected the funds to build Solomon's temple, he said, I have done all of this in the integrity of my, of my heart. There's a beautiful verse which I'll reference later on. When we do do this in Corinthians where Paul says, we do, we talk about managing a particular offering, relief offering for the Jerusalem church. And he said this, we do what is right, both in the eyes of God and before men. Okay? Although if men or God inspect us on how we've handled this money, we have come off as people of integrity. Okay? So we must be highly integrous before God and before men. Psalm 26, which I asked you to, to, to look at it as well, verse 1 and 2 is very important. It says, Vindicate me, in other words, declare me innocent, O Lord, because I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and Try me, test my mind, and test my heart. Notice the claim in verse 1. The claim is, I have walked in my integrity. And the confident request then from the psalmist to the Lord in verse 2 is, examine me, try me, test my mind, and test my heart. Anybody who claims to have a, to have integrity in your walk in life should offer their heart for, for forensic analysis. Okay? So once you've concluded, in this matter, we are integrous. In this matter, we operate truthfully. What you're simultaneously saying by saying that is, I'm willing to offer my heart for div to, to divine analysis on the subject. Right? And I will be found innocent. My, my famous and favorite one is Psalm 139, where the psalmist then makes a similar request in verse 23. He says, Search me, O God, and know my what? And know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see. Everyone say, and see. God, that's almost the saying, look into there and see. Let your eyes, let your eyes analyze me. See if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The way hurtful, the King James, you know the King James in this, in this verse? It says, and see if there be any wicked way. The NASB, see if there be any hurtful way. If you do a word search on wicked and hurtful in the original Hebrew, the word literally means the capacity to offend somebody else. That's why the NASB, see if there's any hurtful way. He's not saying, see if I'm hurting in any way. He's saying, see if there's hurtful ways in me by which I hurt others. Yeah. Check out this verse. In the same verse, watch 
It says it clearly here in the Amplified Bible, not the Amplified, the NLT, New Living Translation says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thought. Point out anything in me that offends you. It's offensive to you because in me there's a capacity to offend others. You know, you know a lot of people go in life and they hurt people left, right, and center. Or you're offending left, right, and center. You, you should not live like that. Let me just say this truth by its nature is offensive. But you should not by your manner of representing or even defending truth offend unnecessarily. Your manner should not offend. Let the truth do it without you. Okay? So listen carefully. I hope there's no one here that's hurting other people. Anybody? Let's pray for you now before we go on. <laughs> Not hurting anybody deliberately, not malicious. You don't want anybody's ill. You're not. You're not. You're not uh, injurious. You, you, you don't want to unnecessarily, consciously or consciously, hope for someone else's failure. Anybody like that? You might say, "Yeah, that's not me." But let me just say this: you will be surprised. You will be surprised. If you go into some Christians' minds and they're actually hoping that certain churches fail, that that minister fails, I'm hoping that they don't succeed to the degree that they aspire to. And if that's you, I'm suggesting there's a hurtful way in you. There's an offensive way in you. I have to check myself constantly. Yeah? Come on. Am I the only one? You two not so? You have to watch yourself and say, God, my heart. I, my heart. I will never support someone externally if my external support is not symptomatic or evidence of the totality of support I want to give that person in my heart. I will never let there be a disconnect between external behavior and the motivation of my heart. Okay? Someone gets a new car and you pray for one for 10 years. <laughs> What's in your You know let me just say this God sometimes just blesses your enemy To check out what's in your heart yeah, yeah. God sometimes will bless people That you hate Just to find out Hey it's brewing inside there And you didn't even know it's there Until the person is blessed You didn't even know it was there and how often, come on, I'm talking to myself and you, how often I have to pinch, hey, Barney, don't think like that. <laughs> oh, listen, don't call me Barney for now. <laughs> My matric class used to call me Barney. I hated it, but they called me out of, there's a time of endearment for them, Barney. Only they were allowed to do it by them. <laughs> yeah, I just sometimes watch myself. Oh, that brew was so dishonorable. And he's blessing the same area I'm trusting God for something. <laughs> then the Lord said, Oh, what's in there? What is it? You see, the state of the heart must be integrous at all times. If you can master this, you're going you're gonna to extend the limits of your life. The issues will spring forth to a greater level. I want to encourage you, love everybody and wish everybody well. Bless everybody, even those that curse you. Wish them well, bless them. Be happy when they succeed. Amen? Now, innocence. Everyone say innocence. 
I said to you, is synonymous with integrity. Right? Job 1 verse 8. Uh, yeah, the Lord boasts about Job. And the Lord says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Is For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. This last statement I will talk about maybe next week. I don't think I'm going to get to it now because of time. But can God boast about you like he boasted to Satan about Job? God stands and sees his son Job. And God is full with admiration. He says even to the devil, hey, check out this guy on the earth. Check out that guy, my servant Job. That guy. There's no one like him on the earth. He is totally blameless. Blameless means without blame. And he's upright, fearing God and turning away. This guy, when he confronts evil, doesn't accommodate it. Evil comes, he says, bye-bye. Bye-bye, evil. I turn away um, something that offends God's principle and God's law. It comes, Job says, bye-bye. Tell someone, turn away. Yeah? Turn away. I'm talking about turn away from evil to protect his, the integrity of his, of his heart. Okay, the porno side comes on your PC, unsolicited, turn away. Mm. Right? Or put the, make you back into to put the protective protocols on your PC to protect your heart. Tell someone, turn away. You see, you might think I'm 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 engaged in certain external things and it's not going to impact my heart. It will. It will affect your heart. That God is so so passionate about keeping in absolute purity and in holiness before the Lord. The same verse in the Amplified says, the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. What a testimony. He's the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and he stays away from, from evil. In other words, he's innocent. Look at Psalm 26 quickly. Verse 1. Vindicate me, O Lord. For I have walked in, in my integrity. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, I will wash my hands in what? Innocence. He wants her innocence. innocence. Look at verse 11. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. integrity. The psalmist uses the terms innocence and, inter- and integrity interchangeable, synonymously. Okay? And so it is my new passion, my ambition, that whatever I do for God and however I function in life, at the end of the day, there must be a verdict, Randolph is innocent. That verdict must be true of you, it must be true of me. Let innocence be your highest priority now. Say God, I'm going to live an innocent life, blameless, faultless, by the grace of the Lord. I'm not saying you will not fail from time to time. I'll talk about that in a moment, because you might think this is a lofty requirement too high um, to attain. But I'm telling you, this is the word of the Lord. Psalm 73, verse 13, just to give you another verse concerning innocence and integrity. Surely, Psalm 73, verse 13, surely I, in vain, I have kept my heart pure and I've washed my hands in 
innocence. innocence. Purity of heart here is equated to innocence. Psalm 19 is an amazing song. We sang the verse in worship. Psalm 19 verse 13. Psalm 19. Keep back your servant from? Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Psalmist says, let them not have dominion. Let them, the sins, not rule over me. He says, then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted from great transgressions. Look at the King James. King James says, keep back your servant. Old New King James. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be blameless and innocent from Great transgression. And then he says, we sang the chorus, verse 14, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, not man's sight, under God's view. O Lord, my rock, my strength, and my redeemer. redeemer. Okay? You know, presumptuous sins are those sins that you don't think it's lethal enough to impact you in any way. And you presume them innocuous. You presume them not having gravity enough to affect you in a very, very serious way. Amongst the many definitions of presumptions in this context. David prayed a prayer, keep me back. Repeat afterwards, keep me back. Keep me back. He says, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. By the way, What's the context of Psalm 19? What is he talking about in all the verses before? He's talking about the power of God's word. Right? Look at verse 4, so. Verse 5, because of time, I want to read the whole thing. Verse 6, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That's the word of the Lord. All these words, the precepts, the word of the Lord, it's, it's right rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. That's the word. Love the word, obey the word. And then he says this, the fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and they are righteous altogether. Verse 10 says, more to be desired than than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And then he says this, by them, moreover, is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is this great reward. Verse 12, who can discern his errors? And he prays this, keep me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, for then I shall be blameless and innocent from great transgressions, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my and my redeemer. So I want to encourage you to focus on the internal purity and integrity of your heart. Turn away from evil. Patiently keep me from temptation. Keep back your servant. From that kind of sin that seeks to master me. So I will be free and innocent from the great transgression. I want to, as I close, just in five minutes.
I want to, I thought just yesterday afternoon, and I added this about two, three pages to my notes, I added, I was thinking of something, and how that, it's very possible, like I said, external acts are not always reflective of the state of the heart. The Lord says, out of the abundance of a heart, a man speaks, but sometimes how men speak and behave, if they have a hypocritical agenda, they use that principle for their own end to hide or to cloak a wrong motive. Okay? Somebody once said that pride finds humility so attractive it often borrows its cloak. Yes, pride, even pride finds humility so attractive it borrows humility's jacket or cloak. It covers itself with humility, but inside full of, still full of pride, but externally parading humility. I never ever want that. A verse, a few verses hit me in this respect. Second Chronicles 25 verse 2. This is regarding King Amaziah. Second Chronicles 25 and verse 2. Look at the King James Version. It says, He did that which was right in the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. Look at the King James. Not with a loyal heart. King James says, He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a You know, I'm thinking, you're doing what is right. Huh? Everyone's clapping for you. This brother is doing what is right. But he's doing externally what is right. But his heart is not perfect before God. He's not doing it with a loyal heart. Some versions say with a devoted, uh, with a devoted heart. Arocha, please listen very carefully. We're closing. Listen carefully. You might still do the right things before God and men, yet may harbor the opposite evil desire of the thing within the heart. In this case, doing the right thing in the name of integrity, while still embracing the desire of the opposite evil thereof is a lack of integrity. Integrity demands that we act outwardly in compliance to God's righteous standards because this is exactly what is mirrored in the condition of our hearts. Mm. Right? No more will I clap for you because I see you do the right thing next time. I'm saying the, the level has now got the introspection and I say this prophetically by the spirit of the Lord, I believe there are eyes now where men cannot see but have been opened to me. And sometimes when I will talk about a matter, we won't have concrete evidence of the thing, but time and experience will prove us right. Mm. It particularly her, she's highly more discerning than I am in certain respects. And I was saying, but hey, you saw it way before I did. And at times I had to repent before and ask Renee for an apology because, because of her discernment is highly sharper than mine. She would see something more readily than, than I would. And I would say, oh, you're too judgmental. You're passing judgment. She said, but I can see. I'm not judging. I simply can. This is, this is as clear as daylight for me. And I said, but where's the evidence? She said, no evidence. <laughs> but I can see. And then, you know, I had to wait in time to get, to, to let a saga play itself out. And she'll come and say, you see, I told you so. 
in a nice way, not like I told you so. <laughs> but I've learned to respect this grace mm. in terms of the, of a wife that God has gave me, given me in managing ministry. Okay, and I'm saying so. Watch. There's a whole lot of sounds confusing there. How I wrote it, I must reword it. Let me reword it in my own way. Listen carefully. I'm saying to you, so long fine to do the right thing. You want to say the right thing? Fine. Yeah, it's fine. You're doing, you're compliant. It's right in the sight of the Lord, but the rightness of your actions is not depictive of the state of your heart. Your heart is not perfect in reference to the outward act. Why? I said in the statement I've just read to you, because in your heart, you actually desire the opposite evil of the good you're doing. So you, you are faithful, for example, to your wife. Let me use Raynor. I'm faithful, but in my heart, I'm longing for another girl. You look at me, I'm, this is, I'm not longing for another girl. Somebody's like, mm. no, no, I'm using an example. <laughs> Let's say I'm faithful to my wife, but in my heart, I have fantasies about another woman. Guess what? You look at my marriage, you give me 10 on 10, you're clapping, you're applauding. But watch, I'm doing the right thing, but not with the perfect heart. God is saying, I'm not going to tick you integrous in the matter of marriage. Why? Because your heart is divorced from the external. Your heart is divorced from the external act. Yeah, and your enemy does get blessed with the car that you were playing for 10 years for. Ah, you come to the your enemy. Oh, I'm so glad. God, God has blessed you. Yeah? Hey, but inside, Cursing. How dare they? The Lord, even complain to the Lord, God, I've been faithful. How come? You know, your heart, the actions of your heart are totally contrary to what is intern, internally, um, externally to your life. Look at two more verses in the close. Hebrews 11 15 says the following If indeed they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would not have had opportunity to. Return, but as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Look at the previous verse again. If indeed they had been thinking of that country from which they came out, they would have had opportunity to return. Okay. Now, in reference to the Exodus from Egypt, do you know God took them out of Egypt? But some of them still have Egypt in their heart. And while leaving the place, it's like, you're leaving the deliverance. Hey, but I want. I know this is the right part, but in my heart, garlics and the leeks of Egypt. Ooh, hallelujah, brethren. I want that. You see, you could be on the path of deliverance. And you yourself don't appreciate the path and that God is leading you into. Because in your heart, you yearn and you long after the thing that God delivered you out from. That is a lack of integrity. Okay? There's a lack of integrity. There are some people that cannot fully celebrate their freedom. Because in their heart, they lust after their former life. 
You feel bound now because you are married. You feel bound now because you are part of a church that has righteous standards. And you seemingly externally compliant because you say, Wow, God, I have to play the game and toe the line. But in my heart, if I had a chance, if I had a little gap, I would give vent to this lust. I would give vent to that proclivity, that propensity. What I'm saying is, embrace the standard holistically and don't yearn out from the thing that God brought you out of. It says, if they had, if they yearned, if indeed they had been thinking of that country from which they were came out, they would have had opportunity to return. Look at Acts 7 verse 39 quickly. Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him, but repudiated him in their way. In their hearts. And turned back to to Egypt. You'll find the reference for this in Numbers 14. Luke is commenting on Numbers 14 verse 3, which says Numbers 14 3, remember when Moses was taking too long? Hmm. And the golden calf? And they worship the calf? Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Egypt. And so they said to one another, let us select a leader and let us go back. You see, God brought them out, but that system was in them. And they lusted for it exceedingly. Some examples. Some of us are obeying God's command, listen carefully, to avoid the consequences of disobedience rather than to obey God to honor Him. It's different. If I obey God, it must be to honor Him. I mustn't obey God to avoid the negative repercussions of disobedience. My motivation for obeying, let's say the tithe, mustn't be that if I don't tithe, then I'm going to experience a whole lot of problems financially. I don't obey a principle to circumvent the negative results of disobedience. I obey the principle as an expression of honor to the Lord. Okay? Because sometimes if I do it simply to save God myself of the negativity of the disobedient action, I leave a door open for subtle reversion to that thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Tell you never, don't leave the door open. Don't leave the door open. This message I'm leaving and hanging, I wish we had another session just to finish it off. I'm afraid I have to leave it in the middle of nowhere and not give you the solution. You have to come back next week. <laughs> no one's allowed to miss church next week. You know why? You see, I can't ascribe to an integral standard while harboring the opposite of it, the evil opposite thereof in my heart. Yet I'm committed to it, but I haven't ratified my hatred for the opposite evil thereof. So I love, I, I, I subscribe to the principle not being convinced of the principle. There's pressure on me to comply because I'm in a family that loves God. I'm in a church that loves God. I'm part of a workforce where principles of integrity are highly apprised. Therefore, I have to toe the line. But if given 
a slight chance, slight blow. I'm taking it. Mm. <laughs> I hope that's not you. The Bible says you must love righteousness, but you must hate lawlessness. And I'll talk more to that. I've seen this example. Staying faithfully married to your spouse, but longing to be married to someone else in your heart. Telling the truth. Listen to this one. Telling the truth. To maintain your spiritual image in pride, whereas you would ordinarily have told lies if upholding your image was not such an idolatrous pursuit that you needed to uphold. So I'll tell the truth, no problem. I tell the truth not having loving the truth. I tell the truth not having developed a love for the truth is a principle of honor. Because if I told lies, let's say, what will be dented is my image. And that's a symptom of pride in me. So I hold on to the truth to uphold the idolatrous image of pride that will be dented if I tell the lie. So you are still not being a person of integrity. Externally, if they assess you, you say, but I told the truth. And then the whole court of law, men are clapping for you. But God comes and says, yeah, but why did you tell the truth? Right? You did not lie. You would have, but you did not. Yeah. Simply because you want to pridefully maintain an image. It's not out of a conviction for the truth itself. It's all about you and your image. Okay? Tell you that one, this is deeper. Mm. I'm not happy with external trappings of integrity. I'm saying, God, if I must do the right thing, I don't want to be like Amaziah who does the right thing, but not with a perfect heart. Right? I want the rightness externally to be a reflection of the condition of my heart internally. Last one, repenting from sin because you have been exposed or found out but you have no intentions of transforming your behavior. Right? That too is not laudable, not laudable before the Lord. Proverbs 27, I don't have it in my notes, but the verse came to me this morning. I actually need to add it here. So I'm only halfway in the study. That's, this is something else that is critical, but we'll address next week. But I think you've got the basis for me to talk about some other issues. Everyone say the state of the heart. State of the heart. What did I say? Proverbs 27, 19. As water, as in water, face, reflex, face. So if you look into water, what do you see? Your mirror image, your face. If you look into water, the water reflects your face. So, in like fashion, the heart of a man reflects the man. Okay? So, if you look into a mirror, a pond, let's say, what are you going to see? Exactly where you are. <laughs> and this verse is, in similar fashion, the heart of a man reflects the man. The true you is your heart. Want to see yourself? Go look in a mirror. Right? Similar fashion, your heart will reveal you. For us, what is water symbolical? The word. The word of God, not so. Want to see the real you? Look into the mirror of God's word. James says it. 
It'll show you who you are or as you are. But more importantly, what you should be like in Christ. Mm. That's what I believe it says. He will look into the perfect law of liberty. James says, right? You see yourself as you exist in Christ. And I'm saying, watch, brethren, if you look into the water of God's word, the word will unveil to you the present state or condition of your heart, or as it should be in Christ Jesus. Okay? It's all about the state of your heart. I want to talk about Abraham, when God, after he obeyed to kill Isaac, offered him as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah, God said to him, Now I do not. Exactly what's in you, Abraham. Now I know what's in your heart. Now I know, indeed, that you do fear me. Okay? And God is going to test our heart. Wasn't it Caleb who wholly followed the Lord? Right? Sean quoted the scripture, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your, and your, and your strength. Amen. Just think with me very, very carefully. Okay, I want to enjoy a bit of time. I wanted to talk about Simon the Sorcerer. Can I just reference him briefly? Acts 18, remember? He got saved under the ministry of Philip the Evangelist in Samaria. Acts 18. The apostles came down to Jerusalem. <coughs> Philip's gone. When the apostles see him, they were, they were laying their hands on people. The Holy Ghost was falling all over the place and the people were speaking in tongues. What was he? A sorcerer. Before he met the Lord, what was he? Sorcering. <laughs> Such a word. Huh? Listen carefully. He was, he was afraid with spiritualism. Afraid with the occult. That's what he... But he saw something in the apostle. Oh, these guys have also got supernatural power. They pray for people to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. So he came to the apostles. He saved under Philip the Evangelist's ministry. Newborn babe on the block. He offers them money. He says, here's some bucks. Uh, give me the same power that you guys got. That I might also pray for other people and let them also be filled with the Holy Ghost. What the apostles said, the, the apostles say this to him. I must read it to you. Then if I were them, I would say, hey guy, this thing can't be bought with money. But forensic eyes see the root of the problem. They hit it like square in the man. Right? Well, look, the evangelists couldn't see this, but apostolic eyes could. Sometimes the nature of the apostolic is very forensic in its inquiry. It gets to the root of the, of the problem. Acts 8, watch. Right? Verse 21. Okay, let's read verse 20. I promise you last scripture. Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you. with you. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. money. You have no part or portion in this matter. For what is not right before God? He says your heart is not right before God. Listen carefully. It might be right with God because you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Under Philip the Evangelist's ministry. But now under apostolic forensic inquiry. Your heart is not Right before God. And listen to what they say to him. Therefore, repent of this what? This wickedness of yours. And pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart 
might be for forgiven you. Then they say this. This is where they hit it. Verse 23. For I see when nobody else can see. I see that you, brother, are in the goal of bitterness. And you are in the bondage of iniquity. Do you know what? When they said repent of this wickedness, the word wickedness there is translated in English as malice. <laughs> with malicious intent to hurt somebody. This man's harboring all these things in his heart and is wrapped by bitterness from a past experience. Now you want to administrate Holy Ghost power with deficient character. And the apostle says, no, 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 no. Sort your heart out first. In other words, they didn't just focus on his request. They looked at the root condition in his heart and they addressed it. Now I want to encourage us, church, that we must present our hearts before God and say, examine me, test me, try me. Now what's exactly in there? You see, we cannot go forward until we ratify this principle. I'm going to have the most integrous heart I know by the power of the grace of God. You must say this, not based upon my own strength, I am going to live righteously before the Lord. Present to you my heart of absolute integrity. If I'm up for forensic analysis, inquiry, I must, it must be said of me, his heart is right. Not just in the sight of men, but in the sight of God. He's doing what is right. And he's doing it with a perfect heart. Right? Watch the state of your heart, for out of it are the issues of, of life. Let's bow it in prayer. I know this is very challenging to me even as I speak it. I, I feel the conviction of the Holy Ghost. Whenever you're about to do anything or think anything of note, ask yourself, will I be, will I be declared innocent after this conversation? After I share my views about a, a matter about somebody, am I exposing the lack of integrity in my heart? Or my heart be justified for its integrity. Amen. The state of the heart. God does not look at the appearance externally of a man, but he, he examines the condition of that man's heart. This is the moment of silence. Bring your heart before the Lord. And if you failed, like I said last week, there's mercy and grace forgiveness here. God will graciously forgive you. He will. So long as you, your repentance is sincere, He respects that. The Bible says a contrite and a humble spirit or heart, God will never ever turn away. Contrition. It's impossible for God to reject contrition, lowliness and humility. He says I cannot reject that. Somebody who comes to me having messed up, comes to me in lowliness, God says, there's nothing I can do but accept the man and work with him and restore him and reinstate him. That's God's heart to us. Amen. Father, we present our hearts to you. Just lift up your hands before him. We come as a church, none of us excluded. All of us in need of your grace. We see the requirements in your word regarding of the states, the internality of integrity, what condition of heart we should carry with us. 
And we ask, our oh God, search us too. Like David said, search us, try us, examine us, and see. Search us and see if there's any hurtful, offensive, injurious way within us. And lead us in the path everlasting. I thank you, Father, that you are able to cleanse our hearts. You said you would cleanse our hearts. Your word is able to wash us clean. So cleanse us from any impropriety. Yes. Cleanse us from any sin, any expression or practice, even thought of unrighteousness, thought of a lack of integrity, where we know this will have never survived your, your assessment of us. But today we ask, by your grace, help us to be men and women of impeccable yes, integrity. Yes. We seek righteousness. Your word says we must hunger, we must thirst for righteousness, for we shall be filled. Jesus. God, we want to be filled because our desire is to do the right thing before your eyes. We receive grace now. Yes. We receive empowerment yes. now to obey you in respect to the matter of a heart of integrity. We, we you. ask that you would, you would empower us. We ask for grace to fill our hearts. That we might always do the things that are pleasing in your sight. For we know that there will be great blessing in this God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.